0: Welcome to LPO, Landing Page Optimization. Landing Page Optimization expert, Tim Ash, is here to show you what it takes to create optimal landing pages. LPO brings you detailed case studies, opinions, and analysis from the leaders of landing page optimization. Now here's your host, Tim Ash.
1: Hello, loyal listeners. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, Landing Page Optimization. And this week, my guest is Nick Iyengar. He's an Associate Director at Cardinal Path, one of the top analytics consultancies. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me, Tim. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. You know, you're a bit of a, uh, I guess, an analytics aficionado would be a, a fair thing to say. But, you know, our folks care a lot about conversion specifically. And I've always, mm-hmm. in a derogatory sense, have said that you know, analytics is uh, looking in the rearview mirror while you're driving at 60 miles an hour down the freeway. <laughs> Uh, There's a lot of truth to that. Well, at least the way that typical quote-unquote analysts approach it, but I understand you have a much more kind of proactive view in your work. Tell us a little bit about Cardinal Path and what you do there specifically.
2: Sure. So at Cardinal Path, we help our clients sort of make sense of the analytics landscape, which, as you know, is complicated and fast-changing and difficult for the enterprise to sort of make sure they're getting maximum value out of their investments in analytics, and so whether it's at the, the technical level or the more strategic level, uh, we try to help our clients, again, just make sure they're getting sort of maximum value from the investments they've made in their tools and, and in their people.
1: Okay, well, so when as that applies to conversion rate optimization, I'm sure that's a topic that comes up pretty often. You've probably seen the, okay, well, let's measure what's going on on our website. Let's start split testing. That seems to be the stage a lot of people are at. Where do you mm-hmm. take them from there?
2: Well, I think... When our clients are already there, we actually feel really happy. I, I think as simple of a concept as, as things like A B testing or even multivariate testing, as simple as those concepts are, I feel there's a lot more kind of talk about them than there is actual action. So a lot of times that's our first step. You know, you talked about analytics often being heavily sort of rear view focused, and I think that's really true. What we talk a lot about at Cardinal Path is is activating your data and turning it into an asset for the future. So how do you use data about past performance? to inform some hypotheses about how you can improve performance in the future.
1: In other so words, in testing, what you do with it instead of just putting a report on the shelf saying, great, here's where our, our drop-offs are, here's the inefficiencies in our funnel, turning that mm-hmm. into something actionable. So can you give me some examples of what it means to activate your data?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we try to do is automate all of that sort of weekly or monthly reporting so that you can actually focus your analysts on, Things like research and hypothesis generation. So we know that we've got X amount of of drop-off in the funnel. We're trying to increase throughput. So let's instead of spending our time calculating how that's changing from month to month and and not having any time left to do anything about it, let's instead focus all of our time on generating some data-driven ideas for how we can actually improve that moving forward. So uh, how can we develop uh, interesting hypotheses for an A-B test or, or a multivariate experiment?
1: Okay, so you're actually turning your analysts into conversion optimization folks, or is that yeah? Too and general, I think broad of I, a statement.
2: No, I think that's exactly right, and that's really where we find the the value is. So that that kind of monthly reporting, that weekly reporting, there's often some value in that. And, and one of the tests is if you take it away, does anybody ask for it? Right? But um,
1: we, we <laughs> and, feel and like how that often really, does that happen? You know, how, <laughs> how often do people I, I, not ask for it? You know, I'm
2: almost scared to talk about that because you'd be shocked how little pushback there is when those reports get taken away. So not too much, <laughs> but, but occasionally people are, are using them for sort of longer term decision making and that sort of thing. But, yeah, because of that, you know, the real value in these analysts who understand the tools and understand the data is not in cranking out that that report and throwing it over the fence, but actually in, in sort of looking to the future, understanding how we can use this data to change something about the way that we're, we're doing business online.
1: Okay, so testing, obviously, near and dear to the hearts of our listeners is one thing you can do with it. What other ways are there to make it actionable?
2: So one of the big things that I'm seeing a lot in the last maybe 6, 12 months, just sort of as the industry matures, Tim, is kind of a progression going beyond what you might call traditional A-B testing and into the sort of brave new world of, of personalization. Personalization, of course, it's sort of a broad umbrella term, can mean different things to different people. But in a lot of ways, it, it's sort of a natural progression from kind of conventional A-B testing. So that's that's a big piece that I've been thinking a lot about lately.
1: So what are kind of the, well, like you said, Personalization is about as broad of an area as analytics. It means different things to different yeah. people. So, yeah. what are what would you say is just kind of like your your basic level of personalization? What are people trying to do with personalization when they start out? So, I think, yeah, I mean, personalization is a broad term, but
2: at the end of the day, sort of to me, what defines personalization is the fact that you know, as analysts and, and as sort of the technology behind uh, digital marketing improves and matures we're in a position where we know a lot more about our visitors than we used to. So if you go way back, you know, we've always sort of known the visitor's IP address. We could translate that out into their geolocation. We know some, something about them from their user agent string. So what, what device they're on, maybe what browser they're using these kinds of things. But today we know uh, potentially a lot more about our visitors. And so personalization is really about taking all that knowledge and putting it into action. So based on what we know, Can we serve a different experience to the visitor or to the customer that's more targeted to them?
1: And I think this is where the confusion is that I think what you're describing, or at least the first steps on the path, everyone, when you say personalization, they get really, really scared. I mean, they start thinking, Mm -hmm. oh, my God, I have to start creating these one-to-one experiences for people based on every interaction we've ever had with them. and, And no, that's not it. You can just say, New visitors, return visitors, right? That's personalization, That's right. It's, or, or more accurately, I would call that segmentation. But you're you're creating different experiences for different segments. Is that kind of the starting point?
2: That's exactly it. I couldn't have said it better myself. And, and I think a lot of people, as you said, Tim, when they hear personalization, they immediately start thinking that they have to provide a truly. Sort of uniquely personalized experience for every different human being that visits their website. And I mean, of course, that's not the case. So segmentation absolutely is a much more appropriate term. But I also think it's sort of loaded or or clouded by the fact that we use that term for a lot of other a lot of other work in the in the analytics field as
1: well. Right. So segmentation isn't digging through your data and looking at parts of it. Segmentation, you know, changing the site experience based on segmentation. Absolutely. That's, that's what and, that's what most people are referring to as quote unquote personalization these days.
2: That's right. That's exactly right.
1: So I mentioned obvious things like are they a return visitor and whether you've cookied them. What other kind of high-value segments are there that people are looking at?
2: So that's a great question. And and what's fun about personalization is that the the answer to that question, Tim, kind of what's a high-value segment? You know, I hate to give you sort of the standard consultant answer, but it depends. Right? It depends on what your <laughs> goals are. It depends on what success means to you. And so that's why it's really important to go into personalization with a really kind of clear strategy about what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So I'll just give you one example, Tim, in case it's helpful just to bring it to life a bit. I've been working with a graduate school lately, and they've got kind of a long sales cycle, right? Because people who learn about the school They learn about the different degrees and programs that are available, and oftentimes the sort of research phase there can take a year or or two years. But they also know a lot of interesting information about these people, especially as they get further down the funnel. So they've requested materials, they've maybe visited campus, they've signed up for events, these kinds of things. And so over time, they start to understand kind of who the most attractive
1: prospects are.
2: And so that's a good example where you might pull in some data from your CRM to help you personalize the experience both. Okay, also well, uh, just
1: uh unpack that CRM is, you know, would be your customer customer
2: relationship management. management. So something relationship like a sales management
1: support. system. Yep, exactly. Right. So basically it's your interactions with prospects. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. customers, but prospects and customers.
2: Exactly. And so that example comes from kind of the .edu world, but really what you're talking about there is kind of lead generation with a long sales cycle. So you could use that example in a lot of different industries and a lot of different use cases.
1: Yeah, a lot of business-to-business stuff, obviously, Absolutely. you know, and enterprise stuff. So, okay, so basically, we'll come back after a break. In a couple of minutes, we'll go deeper into that example and perhaps some others. We'll be back in two minutes after a word from our sponsors.
0: More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. Welcome back to LPO Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim Ash,
1: and we're back. This is your host Tim Ash with LPO Landing Page Optimization. Here speaking with Nick Iyengar from Cardinal Path. Nick, before the break, we were talking about kind of examples of longer sales cycles and actually taking advantage of some information that you already know about your visitors. And I think kind of most broadly, these fall into content consumption. What have they visited on our website? What have they downloaded? What videos have they watched? Mm-hmm. Can, can you speak to that a little bit more? How do you use that information?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, th- so those are all examples of segments that could potentially be really interesting or really valuable. So for me, the real question is, you know, how can we identify some segments that either maybe underperform, you know, target segments that we care about, but are underperforming for some reason, or segments that are overperforming? And then how do we push the envelope with those segments? How can we not only sort of identify them by their behavior, but then respond to them based on their behavior? Can we serve them up some different content that we wouldn't otherwise show? Can we route them to a page that other people don't tend to see? It's not just kind of measuring their behavior and seeing what they do. But actually responding to that information and proactively serving them a different experience.
1: Okay, well I just want to talk about you know, just more a little bit more specifically about that and then unpack a couple of things you said. The first is that yeah, there's two ways to approach this. One is you can focus on stuff that sucks, right? Underperforming mm-hmm. segments. You say, well, let's try to get more value out of them. The other is to magnify your wins sort of a blitzkrieg approach, go narrow and deep. This is working. Let's pour all of our resources into it. So that's interesting. Uh, Which one tends to kind of pay off more? Is it going, amplifying your wins or trying to address underperforming areas? Wow, that's a really good question. That's a a tough one. And I think if I knew
2: the answer to that,
1: (laughs) I'd probably (laughs) be able
2: to retire pretty soon. What I would say is rather than sort of approaching target segments based on based solely on whether they're they're the sort of the the losers or the winners so to speak what you might do is kind of take a step back and align your your testing and personalization strategy with kind of your broader organizational goals so for example if there's a target segment that's really interesting to you it's probably because that ladders up to some higher level strategic goal that you care about so whether that segment is sort of performing at an average level overperforming or underperforming targeting that segment could make sense because again it's a strategic priority for you. So I don't know if I would base it solely on whether they're sort of the winners or losers, so to speak.
1: Rather the potential impact long-term on the business.
2: Yeah, exactly. So just to kind of play that out, if you've identified a segment that you think really underperforms, and, and you might have some really good ideas for how you might be able to address that, but you know, that segment's not really a strategic priority for you. Maybe mm-hmm. you, you leave that for the future and you instead work on sort of optimizing performance against a segment that you've, you've sort of explicitly decided is a strategic priority for you instead.
1: Okay. Well, and then let, let's go into exactly how to do that. But again, I think people get really scared. So I've identified the segment. Again, does it mean that I have to have a completely new experience for It seems like the place to start is don't be redundant. Don't be stupid. So if they come to your homepage and you know they're a return visitor, reinsert them into things that they were doing on their previous visit. Or mm-hmm. if they've already seen downloaded a certain paper you're really pushing on that page, show them something else instead of the same thing they've already seen because they're yeah. going to consider your site irrelevant. So we're not talking about like wholesale changes. We're just talking about personalizing obvious pieces of the page and at least not being redundant or stupid, if I can put it that way.
2: Yeah, no, that's absolutely a fair characterization. And the interesting part about this is that, you know, a lot of the tools that are out there, and I mean, there's a huge variety of tools that will do personalization, Tim, but a lot of them, one of the things they have in common is that they allow you to use sort of like a rules engine or kind of nested logic where you can set a variety of conditions, basically if-then statements. Just like you said, Tim. So if this person's already downloaded this PDF, instead, show them this other PDF. Or if they've yeah, already part, watched this part video. Part two of
1: that PDF. Or, or if they've downloaded it enough, or rather, if they've downloaded something specific, give them an offer that's specific to that download, right?
2: That's right. And in a lot of cases, what's really fun is that We've gotten to a point sort of in the industry now where a lot of times sort of a business analyst or a non-technical user can do that through an interface in a tool as opposed to relying on a developer to sort of bake that into the site with code.
1: Okay, well, let's talk about that. So right now, you know, you have your analytics, you have your content management system, you probably have a testing tool on top of that content management system. Where does personalization usually sit in this kind of marketing technology stack? Is it a standalone product or is it incorporated into other larger suites?
2: That's a fantastic question, Tim. And and the answer I'd say right now is It is depends.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, well it depends. No, I know uh, I know I know the answer, now. but I'm just I want to hear it from you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: well absolutely so right now I think, you know, in sort of the, the brave new world that we're in, the answer really is all of the above and it depends on the tool. And so you've got tools that kind of get baked in at the CMS level, the content management system. You've got tools that really integrate nicely with the CRM that we talked about already. You've got tools that are more kind of an extension of web analytics, like Adobe Target, for example, a really nice integration, obviously, with Adobe Analytics. And then you have tools that are more kind of standalone that maybe integrate with merchandising or your e-commerce backend and things like that.
1: Or completely standalone things like EverGage that are just an overlay on top of whatever else you're doing. And sometimes like with Optimizely, they have pretty robust personalization capabilities as part of your kind of testing or optimization platform, too.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so right now, you know, what I'm advising clients is, you know, think about the investments you've already made in your sort of technology marketing stack. Think about what you're actually trying to accomplish through personalization and and consider whether one of the tools that you've already got may, in fact, help you get there, or whether you do need something incremental in the mix to to help you get get where you want to go.
1: Because, again, not to – I'm sure that there's feature wars going on in personalization just like anywhere else, but to – if you're just starting out, I would say that they're roughly comparable. All of them will allow you to segment your visitors or even, like you say, nested sub-segment those segments and swap out appropriate content on your site. Yeah. Easily, that's... Usually with visual tools. So yep. like you say, the, probably one of the most important considerations sounds like it's not making your marketing technology stack too complicated. So if it could be a module you turn on in an existing tool you have, it's probably a good place to start. Right.
2: Absolutely. And so, you know, unless you're already pushing the bounds or, or finding the limitations of your personalization tool now, you may not need to go through sort of a formal, you know, weeks or months long vendor selection where you're right. really Request pushing the, the boundaries. Proposal. Of, yeah, exactly. There's a time and a place for that potentially. But if you're just getting started, you're probably not there yet.
1: So if you had some tips for people that are starting down this road of personalization, one thing is measuring outcomes. And, And again, back to our CRO roots here, how do I know the value of personalization?
2: So that's a really good question, and there's kind of a mindset shift that needs to happen when you're coming from a background of sort of web analytics or from more conventional A-B testing. In the world of A-B testing, you have an experiment in flight. It's going to generate results, and after a while, we hope that there will be some definitive, you know, quantitative backing behind there being a winner or a loser. And then the test ends, we we tear it down, we implement what we learn, and we we sort of move on. But it's a time-bounded workflow in that sense. Personalization is different because it's potentially not bounded in in that same way, right? You can turn on a personalization campaign, um, and, and you benefits, never turn it off. That that's right. You it, might sort of iterate on it over time, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, you don't have that alarm bell go off or the bar turns green and you have a party because you have a winner. <laughs> yeah, no statistical so,
1: significance.
2: Yeah, exactly. And so in order to really see the value of personalization, it's really important that whatever tool you're using, you have some ability to to integrate the reporting with what I would say is your core web analytics tool. So whether that's Google Analytics, whether that's Adobe, whether it's something else entirely, I think one of the things that you should really explore before you especially make financial commitments to personalization are, you know, what's the measurement piece going to look like? Does this integrate with the measurement tools that you probably already know and love?
1: yeah exactly. So when we come back from our break, I want to explore that a little and discuss what we're doing for one of our clients. but I also want to you know find out a little more about this contradictory thing that you do. distance running and home brewing. Nick will be, <laughs> we'll be back to explore that in a couple of minutes after this word from our sponsors.
0: More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment.
1: at BruceClay.com.
3: Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account
2: a lean, mean, converting machine.
3: Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at wmetraining.com.
0: Welcome back to LPO Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim Ash.
3: And
1: we're back, loyal listeners. This is Tim Ash, your host for LPO Landing Page Optimization, talking with Nick Iyengar from Cardinal Path. And Nick, you know, before the break, we're talking about distance running and home brewing. Usually I figure like really, really skinny person that's in shape or pardon me, beer bellied, you know, fat ass on the couch who's home brewing. (laughs) Now, how do you how do you square that circle?
2: Oh, well, I think that's just it. So at heart, I'm very much a couch potato. That's that's my favorite place to be is you know in, in my pajamas on the couch. But you know there are there are sort of long term negative side effects to a lifestyle like that. And so, you know, for me, I've I've never been the kind of person that works out to be a fitness junkie. I. I mostly work out to kind of excuse my sort of more couch potato tendencies, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I'm a big home brewer. Um, my parents once told me that my kitchen, when they visited my apartment, they told me my kitchen looked like a mess lab. I asked them how they knew <laughs> what a mess lab looked like, but uh,
1: yeah, but they, so, but they pled the Fifth Amendment on that one. <laughs> maybe they saw breaking bad, I don't know, but uh, yeah, so that's that's my line too. <laughs> Yep. So you've got to run a marathon
2: to offset all the beer.
1: The wonderful winter blends I'm sure you're making right now as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, on that note, let's get back to personalization. So one thing that we were talking about is measuring personalization. I think it's critical, like you say, to make sure that you bake in what you're measuring. So at a minimum, you should be able to kind of maybe even split test your personalization, say this segment of people sees personalization, this other segment doesn't. And that way, you can back into the impact of it. Is that a good place to start?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it, Tim. And and not only does that give you a great place to start, but it gives you a platform on which you can sort of learn and, and iterate, right? And so you're right, there is this kind of interesting intersection between personalization a b testing, which is you know even within the people who are seeing a personalized experience Tim can you can you a b test sort of within that segment to see right, which version different personalized, personalized experiences works better exactly and, and that's important in personalization, especially because you know as the internet users become sort of more and more savvy to the fact that they're being analyzed and potentially seeing personalized experiences, sometimes there's a, there's a boundary that you you don't want to cross in terms of what's a great personalized, customized experience and what's a little bit intrusive and creepy, you know? Yeah, so, a little
1: minority report, maybe, you know, yeah, like the ads yeah. follow you around and completely personalized.
2: Exactly. So what you want to be able to do is, is, you know, kind of calibrate that correctly. So you're in that sweet spot where you're providing someone a more relevant experience without sort of giving them second thoughts about how much they're being tracked or, or their privacy concerns and that sort of thing.
1: Okay so if we were to just kind of find out where that creepy line is any tips in terms of like if your target audience is very technically savvy versus more retrograde and unsophisticated what should you be watching out for in terms of the, the what you personalize
2: I think a lot of it is in the is in the messaging tim so so for example I've I've run into some examples where you see some some fairly explicit, transparent messaging about the fact that you know, you're seeing this experience because of specific actions you've taken in the past. I think there might be cases where there's an audience that will respond positively to that. But I think a lot of it is user common sense But if you're going to do something, I guess try to frame it up in the value to the customer or to the prospect or whoever it is, as opposed to sort of telling them outright that they're being targeted in in this way. I just see a lot of verbiage that sometimes gives me second thoughts about, you know, is there a need to be that transparent about what you're doing? Sometimes I think it's actually counterproductive.
1: Yeah, so so disclosures are good, but you know you shouldn't have to disclose that you're seeing this page because of this, and you're seeing the next page because of that. You know, right? That that gets a little yeah. Weird.
2: That's that's right. So if you're you know if you're an e-commerce business running a big sort of banner on your homepage that says "special for people who purchased six days ago, you know, get ten percent <laughs> off," that's probably a little much. <laughs> you, know, you might you might dial that back just a little bit.
1: And if so if you had to give one tip for somebody that's starting down the road of personalization, what would you say to them? One either thing to avoid or something to definitely pay attention to? Well,
2: I'd say it's, it's a really exciting space to get into because there's so many fun tools out there. But I'd say the way to set yourself up for long-term success is to spend a little bit of time up front building out sort of a personalization strategy. So what is it that you're trying to accomplish? You know, Which of your strategic priorities is, is personalization going to help you work toward and how? Once you've answered that question and, you, and you're kind of going into it with eyes wide open, it makes things like selecting a tool and developing personalization campaign ideas much, much easier. And it also makes your your work a lot more coherent, right? You're working toward a clear end goal.
1: Okay. So if I had to kind of sum that up, I'd say be clear about the business reasons you're doing personalization. Let's say another step we've kind of talked about is understand what data you have access to in order to do the personalization. And mm-hmm. then finally, measure the financial impact of personalization. And the personalization itself in that context can start out relatively simple and then grow in complexity.
2: Yeah, that's a great way to sum it up.
1: And loyal listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of LPO, Landing Page Optimization. If you want to hear great speakers like Nick on analytics and folks on every part of conversion, Come to the conversion conference in Las Vegas. I think we're going to sell out again. So you've been warned. May 18th, 19th, conversionconference.com.